0: Good morning, everyone. Um, We are this morning, as Steve has said, continuing on our series, Big Questions. And um, it's a a series that aims to explore some of the big questions of life and faith. And we've deliberately chosen to run this series alongside our Alpha course, um, hoping to tackle some of those more difficult questions that people might have. It's perhaps a little bit different from our normal Sunday morning teaching. I think that's okay, and I'm glad that we're doing it together, and we don't want to ever be accused of burying our heads in the sand, do we, and avoiding some of these more difficult topics. So far, then, we've looked at why does God allow suffering, we've looked at do miracles happen today, and are science and faith incompatible? So nice, easy subjects to ease us into the series. Um, and Steve's been offering some excellent thoughts on those areas and if you've missed any and you want to catch up, then all of our talks are on the website. You just scroll down on the homepage to so you find media and sermons. And I do encourage you to catch up. Um, if you listen through iTunes, there's a feature where you can listen in double speed. So if you don't mind the preacher sounding like Mickey Mouse, you can get through the sermon in 15 minutes. Um, a real time saver. It's good if you can't sleep as well. Um, So today's question then is this. Is it offensive to claim that Jesus is the only way to God? Hmm. Well, we live in a society which tells us that whatever we choose to believe is okay. If you want to believe in God, that's okay. If you want to believe in lots of gods, that's okay. If you don't want to believe in God at all, that's okay. If you want to believe that we are a failed alien experiment, that's also okay. As long as what you believe doesn't hurt anyone else. What's true for you is fine, but it might not be true for me, and that's okay. That's the prevailing opinion. And as I was sort of looking into this this week, I came across um, a, a poem by writer Steve Turner, British writer. In fact, it, it's more of a creed. Than a poem, and it attempts to summarize this feeling in society. So I'm just going to read it for you now. We believe in Marx, Freud, and Darwin. We believe that everything is okay, as long as you don't hurt anyone, to the best of your definition of hurt, and to the best of your knowledge. We believe in sex before, during, and after marriage. We believe in the therapy of sin, that adultery is fun, that sodomy is okay, and that taboos are taboo. We believe that everything is getting better, despite evidence to the contrary. The evidence must be investigated. You can prove anything with evidence. We believe there's something in horoscopes, UFOs and bent spoons. Jesus was a good man, just like Buddha, Mohammed and ourselves. He was a good moral teacher, although we think his good morals were bad. We believe that all religions are basically the same, at least the one we read was. They all believe in love and goodness. They only differ on matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, God and salvation. We believe that after death comes the nothing. Because when you ask the dead what happens, they say nothing. nothing. Death is not the end. Um, If the dead have lived, then it's compulsory heaven for all, except perhaps Hitler, Stalin and Genghis Khan. We believe in Masters and Johnson. What's selected is average. What's average is normal and what's normal is good. We believe in total disarmament. We believe there's a direct link between warfare and bloodshed. Uh, Americans should beat their guns into tractors and the Russians would be sure to follow. We believe that man is essentially good. It's only his behaviour that lets him down. This is the fault of society. Society is the fault of conditions, and conditions are the fault of society. We believe that each man must find the truth that's right for him. Reality will adapt accordingly. The universe will readjust. History will alter. We believe there is no absolute truth, except the truth that there is no absolute truth. (laughs) And finally, we believe in the rejection of creeds. I maybe smile as I read it this week because it doesn't really work, does it? You can't really just lump everything together. You know, people claim that, that all religion is fine. All, all roads lead to God. You know, all you need to do is, is pick one. But by saying that, I think you're either being ignorant of or choosing to ignore the claims of those religions themselves. You know, there's something like uh, 4,500 religions in the world today. But if you just examine the the major ones, there's huge differences. You know, Hinduism proposes that there are many gods, while Islam suggests that there's just one God, Allah. Buddhism is silent about the nature of God. Buddhists believe that we keep returning to this earth again and again, whereas Christians will say you only get one shot. Jews believe in the Torah and the Talmud, that they're sacred, whereas Sikhs believe in the Guru Granth Sahib. You know, Christians will Scribble all over their holy book, whereas Muslims believe this is the most precious thing that they own. They don't even translate it from Arabic. And even views on salvation differ considerably. You know, for Hindus it's all about the fulfilment of duty and ceremonial observance. Whereas Christians will tell you you can't earn salvation. It's a gift. And only the briefest examination of world religions will show us that they're, not, um, they're incompatible. Not complementary. I can't just be lumped together. I remember my uh, my RE teacher used to say that she had picked all of her favourite bits from the religions, and she'd made for herself um, a special religion that worked just for her. And I guess it's a very sort of postmodern way of thinking, isn't it? This idea that truth can be subjective, that your truth is different to mine, and that's okay. Whatever works for you. But again, people that make this claim, they're either being ignorant of or ignoring the claims of those religions. Because most religions will claim that their religion is the way. The only way. Which can only mean that either that religion is true, whether you believe it or not, or it isn't. And Christianity makes this claim about itself. Christians profess to follow Jesus. The clue's in the name. um, And Jesus said this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And a bit later on, Peter um, said this of Jesus. Salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name in heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There's no wiggle room in those statements, is there? One of the Christianity's central claims is that Jesus is the only way. He's it. He's the only person that can reconnect us with God. And You know, some other religions, they try to absorb Jesus into their faith. Muslims will tell you that Jesus was a prophet, and, and Hindus will claim that he was an, an avatar of Brahma. But Christians are adamant that Jesus is it, that he's the way. And so in our, our post-modern, ultra-permissive society are we actually being offensive by claiming that Jesus is the way? Are these statements harsh and and unbending and perhaps arrogant even? What is so special about Jesus? Why is he unique? Sure, he made the the claim that he was the way, the truth and the life, but what does that really mean? That's what I want to look at this morning. And we're going to Break it down into those three categories the way, the truth, and the life. And we'll start with the way. See, most religions have a way, they have a a method of living, if you like. In Islam, there are five pillars um, faith, prayer, charity, fasting, and pilgrimage. In uh, Buddhism, there are four noble truths, the fourth of which is an eightfold path to the awakening. And Jews have 613 unchangeable commandments. Written by God in the Torah. I think the numbers are in favor of Buddhists at the moment. And all these rules and regulations, they, they help the followers of that religion to live correctly, to follow that way. But Christianity is not about a set of rules. It's about a person, a person of Jesus, a singular person who described himself as the way. How can a man be? The way. If you've got a Bible, find uh, John 8 for me. And we're going to spend most of our time in John 8 today. And what we have here is a conversation that that Jesus is having with um, a group of people, some of whom are his followers who profess to to follow him and believe in him, uh, some of whom are ambivalent, they're not really fussed either way, and some of whom are opposed to Jesus. It's quite similar to today, really. Um, And I'm going to read from verse 21. Once more, Jesus said to them... Let me put that on screen for you. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? So... Um, the Jews say this because they believed that anyone who committed suicide would be um, sent to the lowest depths of Hades. And none of the Jews thought that that's where they would end up. So that's why they assume that here Jesus is talking about suicide. But he continues in verse 23. You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am He you will indeed die in your sins. So Jesus is trying to clarify the situation for them here by saying, you are from below and I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. He wants them to know where he's come from. And most religions, most religious movements are about man trying to find God in some way or another. It might be an ancient practice or a, uh, a ritual or a mystical experience or a, a pilgrimage to a holy place. But it's all about man's search for God. Christianity is unique in that it is the story of God searching for man. A God that desires to be known, so introduces himself into the, as the person of Jesus. You're from below, I'm from above. I have come down to you, to be with you. Jesus says, I am he. And if you're following in your Bibles, the he might be in italics. And that tells you that the he was was added by the translators. What Jesus actually said was, if you do not believe that I am. Because I am was a name that the Jews would have recognized for God. That was a name that God used for himself. And Jesus is telling the people that God has come amongst them in the form of a man with a specific purpose in mind. And that purpose was to save them from their sins. Now, sin is a word which we use to talk about um, the things that have separated us from God. The things that we do that that turn us against God. It's our greed and our selfishness. It's our our lust and pride and our anger and hate and, and, and disobedience. And most religions, they try and do something about this. They give us steps to follow or, or prayers to pray or meditations to make in order to repress those behaviours. They give us ways of making ourselves acceptable to God. But Jesus says it can't be done. He says you'll die in your sins. I mean, that's quite an offensive claim. You know, if God is God, then he must be perfect. And if he's perfect, then his standard must be perfection. Which we're not. Not any one of us, despite what you might think. None of that is except for Jesus. According to scripture, Jesus lived a life that was perfect. If you follow down to verse 29, it says this, The one who sent me is with me, he has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Jesus lived a life always that pleased God, that made him right with God, And then he sacrificed himself on the cross for us. So that whoever believes in him will have a way back to God through him. Not through their own efforts, um, their own ingenuity, their own sacrifices or rituals, but through what he did. As one preacher once put it, Christ paid a debt that he didn't owe because we owed a debt that we cannot pay. Or as Paul writes in the letter to the Romans, the wages of sin is death. That's what this life has earned you, death, separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And it's a gift, not that can be earned, but it's freely given. There's a parable in the Bible, which I'm sure many of you will be familiar with. It's the parable um, of the prodigal son. But what you might not know is that there's a very similar story in Buddhist tradition. Almost exactly the same. Both stories tell of a son who turned their back on their father, who rebelled against their family, who left home, and at some point in the future, after things had gone wrong, um, saw their way to, to go home, to be reconnected with their family and their father. However, the ending of the stories can differ considerably. You see, in the Buddhist parable, the son is required to work off the penalty. For his past misdeeds, he spends years and years in servitude to his father. Whereas in the Christian parable, the repentant son is warmly welcomed home by his loving father. He throws his arms around him and shows him undeserved grace and forgiveness. And Jesus offers each of us this free gift, this free gift of undeserved grace and forgiveness. And all that's required of us is that we accept it. That's why He is the way, the only way to God. And salvation cannot be earned. Let's move on to truth. Sticking with John 8, then, I'm going to just skip down to verse 31. It says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well now, this is confusing. I've just been telling you that being a Christian is all about accepting Jesus and not following a set of rules. And here's Jesus saying, if you hold to my teaching, you'll be free. What's going on? Well, it's simply this. Jesus' teaching isn't designed to save you from sin. It's designed to help you live free from it. Look what he says in verse 34. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. Jesus is the son. Who set us free. And his teachings help us to live in the reality of being a child of God. Slaves, they can be gotten rid of at a moment's notice, can't they? Just like that, and they're out the door. But children, they belong to the family forever. And with Christianity, there is a unique assurance we don't have with other religions. With other religions, you, you know, if you stop believing, if you um, stop doing um, what you're required to do, if you don't follow the correct rules and regulations, then you're out. But Christianity has the assurance of being part of the family, a security of the family. St. Paul calls us heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And I love, I just love that song that Becky chose for Maddie's dedication this morning, No Longer Slaves, it says, we've been liberated from our bondage. We're sons and daughters. Let us sing our freedom. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And the truth that Jesus wants us to live in is that we are his beloved children. Do you know that this morning? Do you know what it means to be a child of God, beloved by God, cherished by him? And you know, Jesus' message, it's not about promoting a new religion or a new set of rules and regulations to follow. It's about restoring a relationship between father and son, father and child. Just like that picture of the prodigal son running home and embracing his father. So when Jesus says, hold to my teachings, it's because his teachings come from God and we believe that God has our best interests at heart. You know, I have two children. I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old who I love and I, I cherish and I protect them and I want them to do well and grow up well, so I instruct them. I tell them what's wrong and what's right and I, show to, I try to lead by example as, as Becky has promised to do this morning. Do they always listen to me? No. Do they ever listen to me? I'm not sure. <laughs> but I still love them. I still love them and they still have a place in my home. And, you know, I hope that they grow up with enough respect for me, that they will follow the rules that I give them. But the reality of my love won't change. And as Christians, we don't follow Jesus' teachings to earn God's love. But we do it out of gratitude for God's love. Or as John later writes in one of his letters, we love because he first loved us. Finally, Jesus describes himself as the life. In John 10, verse 10, Jesus states, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And you see, Christianity isn't just about what happens to you after you die. Jesus isn't only interested in where we go when we die, but he's interested in what happens to us now right here, right now. And if you've been part of our Alpha Course at all, then each week you'll have heard from someone different, a testimony of a changed life. A testimony of how someone has met Jesus and their life has become different through an encounter with him. How, how he has improved a situation, how he has turned something around. And for me, personally, you know, since meeting Jesus, my life has gained meaning and purpose. And I have an assurance and a hope and a joy inside of me that, that came from elsewhere. You know, I was reading this week in Time magazine, which I accidentally subscribed to some months ago and don't know how to get out. Um, I was reading about a Christian lady called Karen Granger. And uh, she had the, the year from hell. Okay, um, First, her husband Eric was laid off from his job. Then in March, finally pregnant and eager to start a family, she has a miscarriage. A month later, her closest cousin, Sharon, received a diagnosis of advanced breast cancer. No sooner had she returned from visiting her cousin than two hurricanes struck our hometown. Finally, in early December, one of her best friends died at the age of 50 from a brain tumour. Awful, enough to bring anyone to their knees. But this was her reaction. She says, we are putting our lives in God's hands and trusting that he has our best interests at heart. She said, I've clung to my faith more than ever this year. As a consequence, I haven't lost my joy. My joy. For someone to experience all of that and still be able to claim that there is joy in their life. Surely that can only be God. That can only come with faith. A new life. Now we started with this question, is it offensive to claim that Jesus is the only way to God? For anyone that knows Jesus, the answer is simple. It has to be yes, because they know the difference that he makes. They understand a changed life. Let me finish with um, an analogy which I've borrowed from a, a, a guy called Lee Strobel. A young couple give birth to a baby girl who develops jaundice shortly after birth. And for those that don't know, um, jaundice is a liver condition that turns your skin and the whites of your eyes yellow. The paediatrician told the young couple that this is a potentially devastating disease, but is easily treated. All they needed to do was put the baby under a special light um, for a while, and this would stimulate her liver properly and she would be all right. Now the parents, they could have said, well, it sounds too easy. How about instead we we scrub her with soap and sort of dip her in bleach? And if we work hard enough, then I'm sure we can get her normal colouring back. The doctor would have replied, no, (laughs) don't do that. There's only one way to handle this. They could have also said, well, how about we just sort of ignore the problem? You know, we'll just pretend that everything's Okay. You know, the the jaundice is kind of your truth, doc, and uh, you know we've got our own truth. We, We kind of just believe that everything's going to work out for the best. You know, the doctor would have said, if you do that, you're going to jeopardize your baby. Look, there's one way to cure her. You know, you're hesitant because it sounds too easy, but look at the credentials hanging on my wall. I've studied at medical school, and I've used what I've learned to cure countless babies before yours. Trust me. No one would ever have taken offence at the doctor for claiming that he had the only way to make the girl better, would they? Because they understand that it is the only way. There is only one way that the girl can be cured. And they would trust the doctor is telling the truth and they would follow the evidence of the hundreds of babies' lives who had already been saved by the treatment. And for me, this perfectly sums up Jesus. He sought us out and he gave us the opportunity to deal with the disease of sin in our lives. And, you know, some of us are stuck trying to deal with that sin ourselves, you know, to scrub ourselves clean and and just try and do better. Some of us just ignore the problem and we don't understand how good life could be living outside of the reality of being a child of God. Psalm 34 says this, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him and saved him from his troubles. An angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And there's an opportunity, I think, this morning for all of us to respond to Jesus. To respond to that message of salvation. And it would be remiss of me if I didn't give you that opportunity this morning, knowing the difference that He has made in my life, whether or not it causes you offence. So I just wonder if the the band would just come back up behind me as we conclude. I'm going to pray this morning a, a simple prayer, a prayer of acceptance. A prayer of accepting the way of Jesus into our lives. And if you've never um, responded to Jesus, maybe you've never heard the message quite like that before or understood the message of Christianity quite like that before, then I would just encourage you to pray that prayer along with me. You don't need to stand up or wave your arms or anything. You can just silently bow your head and, and pray that prayer in your heart. And if that's genuine for you, then Jesus will come into your life you know, well, maybe you've prayed that prayer a long time, but you've sort of wandered off. And this morning, it's, for you, it's a bit like the prodigal son. You need to just come back to your father. We sung earlier, didn't we, about the loving arms of grace. You just need to feel those loving arms of grace around you again. And I would encourage you to pray that prayer as well. Let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. Father God, we thank you. That you loved us enough to seek us out. We know that there is no way that we can earn our salvation. But we thank you that Jesus has made a way for us. Father we repent of our sin and we ask to be accepted once more as your child. Help us to live in the reality of that truth. And to know what it means to have a relationship with you